Well, good morning, Hills Church. How you doing? Awesome. It is so good to be with you. For those that I haven't got a chance to, to meet, or if you're new, my name is Taylor, and I'm on the teaching team here, and I'm so excited to get to jump into the Epic Grace series. I gotta say, this has been a, a cool weekend for me, just because uh, my family, we've been, we've been out of town for a couple weeks, and it's just, you know that feeling when you just come, you come home, and you get to sleep in your own bed, and then it's this weekend, I get to come to my own church, and be with my own people, and get to dive into this series that we're doing, uh, that is um, going to be so much fun this morning. I believe God has something great for us. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible. We were actually there last week in this series in chapter 3, and now we're nine chapters over in Genesis 12. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, say hi to everybody who is joining us online or maybe later on podcast or live at one of our three campuses. We're so glad that you are here. And if you are uh, just you know new to the series, I've been out of town, so we're coming in together. This is a great weekend for you to be here. And in this series, Epic Grace, we've been looking at some of the stories of people inside the Bible who sometimes get called heroes of the faith. And they, they kind of become legends for us where we only talk about their best moments and we miss out on the fact that they may have some heroic moments, but a lot of moments are just very human like us. And for every failure that they have, God brings his grace. And so we're going to see that in the life of a man whose name, well, actually, technically, he has two names. So let me clear that up real quick. On your uh, bulletin, if you're live at one of our campuses, his name is Abraham on there. But I'm about to read a passage where his name is Abram. So uh, we're going to dive deep for just half a second with a very sophisticated lesson in the Hebrew language. Why, what's, what's the difference here? One, it's the same person. And two, Abram in Hebrew means daddy. And Abraham means big daddy. I told you we were going deep right there. Daddy, big daddy. That's, that's the difference. Now, uh, uh, later in Abram's life, God gives him the name. He, he, he kind of supersizes him and gives him the name Abraham. And if you're wondering why that changed, it's partly because of a promise that God makes right here in Genesis 12. So we're going to jump into verse 1. And if, uh, if this feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere for you, that's okay because it did for Abram. Here we go. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram became ultimately... Abraham, big daddy, because he was going to be the big daddy of a big nation. That God said, even way back here in Genesis 12, I'm going to use this new community of people whom I'm going to bless so they can be a blessing. And that's what he said to Abram. And I love God's timing that we're talking about this moment where God says, through this community I'm going to start, this family, I am going to bless all of the nations. And we're talking about that on the same weekend where some 850 Hills members got to live into that reality by blessing our neighbors and our city and our world through Renew Serve uh, this weekend. I know we already talked about it and celebrated it at all of our campuses, but can we celebrate it one more time, what God has done and what God is doing 
through our Renewed Serve partners and through so many of you. It was so cool to hear so many different stories of what God was doing. And if you missed out on it, I would encourage you to go online and look up the hashtag Hills Renew. And you're going to see different posts and stories and pictures from people from all three of our campuses who were doing amazing things and saw that we really lived into this reality of being a blessing for the sake of others. And this even shows us, if you're wondering, what's church about? Church isn't just about uh, good news. It's that good news leads us to good things for the sake of others, to care for others, to serve others. And that's what happened this weekend. That's how far-reaching, that centuries after God said this to one guy, it's happening through so many for the sake of many around the world. And yet, despite how far-reaching that is and how epic God's grace is, even in this moment and in this promise We've got to see it, first and foremost, from Abram's limited perspective. Here's what you need to know about this man at this moment. He has, at this point, no affiliation with God, and suddenly God speaks to him. He has grown up in a pagan community, and they worship idols, false gods. And now, the one true God is intervening in his life and telling him to leave everything behind. Now, the... The text here doesn't give us any idea that Abram is specifically qualified for this. There's no certain characteristics. There's no skill set. There's no reason God chooses him. He's not set apart for, some, for, for, for anything that's about him. It's all about what God decided to do. But even what God decided to do would think, Abram shouldn't be the one qualified for that. Because God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your family and grow it into a great nation. And at this point in Abram's story, he and his wife Sarai don't even have children like, how, how are you going to grow into a great nation? You can't even start with a family. And yet it's God who just says, out of his grace, I choose you. Now, we've got to understand that that's true of Abram, and that's also true of everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Man, there's nothing special about me that God would say, Taylor, I want to use you. There's nothing special about you that God would say, I want to use you. He calls us in his grace. He intervenes in our life. We are lost and we don't know what we're doing. And God says, I'm coming to give you a blessing and to change your life. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus, can we affirm that that's true? Man, that's what God does. Even the way things start, it's all epic grace And yet it's going to cost Abram all that he has known. To have to leave his country, his people, his father's household. You break that out, it's basically like you're going to leave the place where where you're familiar, the community that you know, and the security you think you have. See, because to leave your father's household, that was his inheritance. That's his 401k. And God says, you're going to, I want you to leave all that. And basically, I like how one theologian sums up God's words to Abram. God basically says, close your eyes and take my hand. And, and, you, and I'm just going to lead you. Well, where, where are we going to go? Well, I'm, he doesn't give him any address. There's no GPS coordinates he can plug into the camel. Like, they don't know. God says, I'm just going to tell you. Where's the land? Well, you, you'll find out. But first, you've got to go. You've got to take the step, and then I'm going to lead you in it. And the reason that we're talking about Abram today is because God called him. And then, verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. 
packs up everything he has. He and his wife, Sarai, they, they get all their belongings, their, their, uh, their employees, everything. And then they just go on this caravan and God begins to lead them. In verse 7, they, they, uh, they get to a particular place and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Got another promise that he's made. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, Abram and his group, they go on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Man, in, in, in this first part of Abram's story, he is a model of faith. So I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up hearing about this version of Abraham. The one who trusted, the one who obeyed, the one who worshipped, the one who just closed his eyes and took God's hand and went wherever he was supposed to go. And here near Bethel, he's calling on the name of the Lord. He's, he's everything you'd want in a walk of faith. But what we have to understand is that if that was the only, only part of the story that we had, Abram's nothing more than an example I fail to live up to every day. But the good news for us here in Genesis 12 is that that's not the whole story. We don't just have some perfect picture of faith. We have a real person. And it doesn't take long to see the real person come out of him. I don't have to turn a page in my Bible to get there. I don't even have to leave this chapter. All we have to do is read a couple more verses to see how much Abram needs God's epic grace. Starting in verse 10. Now, there was... A famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Abram, bring in date night A-game. Like, guys, you, just, you can just steal that line right here. God's given it to you. Like, don't just say, like, babe, I think you're so beautiful. No, no, no. I know what a beautiful woman you are. Woo, okay, Abram, get a room. And if he had just shut up, that'd be a great compliment, but he keeps talking. So here's what he says. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. My life will be spared because of you. Dude, you should have stopped at, you're beautiful. But instead, this gets weird, right? Like, what just happened? What kind of a husband asks this kind of, like, what, what is even going on right here? Here's what, here's what you need to know. In this moment, after all that he's done to be faithful and all that he's done to be trusting and to do what God says, in this moment, Abram acts out of selfishness and fear. Because as soon as, as, soon as trouble comes, he reverts back to his own game plan and in selfishness and fear, he creates what he thinks is going to be a good strategy. Those are his two main motivators. He's selfish and he's scared. Look, I'll, I'll show you. Hear, hear it again in the ESV. Say you are my sister, here's the selfishness, that it may go well with me because of you. I I want things to work out for my benefit, but then we see the fear, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Selfishness operates from the place of what's in it for me, and Abram wants it to go well. And fear operates from the place of how can I make it through this? How can I survive? 
And he wants his life to be spared. And so, I read this and I'm like, okay, what in the world happened to the guy from just a few verses ago? I mean, the first part of the chapter, that guy made this big show of trusting God and he closes his eyes and he takes God's hand and he goes and there like near Bethel, he's worshiping and he's calling on God. And here in Egypt, he doesn't ask God for help. He doesn't reach out to the Lord. He just comes up with his own game plan. And I don't like the Egypt version of Abram. I like that near Bethel version who wants to worship, who wants to trust. And, and I wish I could just stay there in that part of the story, but it's not the whole truth. I'll I'll paraphrase how a preacher friend of mine, Jacob Parnell, puts it. If Abram's worshipful time near Bethel is like the wedding reception, his time in Egypt is like the marriage counseling. If Bethel is what you post online with the hashtag blessed, but Egypt is what you hope nobody finds out about. His time near Bethel, it's like the first day of your brand new job. And Egypt is like, The second day of your brand new job. Seriously though, how how can this guy be so trusting and faithful in one moment and then turn around and completely blow it the next? It's easy for me to ask that question of Abram. It's a lot harder to ask it of myself. See, my, my journey of faith is a lot more like Abram's than... I want to admit. My near Bethel, my, my Instagram moment, it's right now. Getting to stand on stage and preach a sermon all about God's grace. But my Egypt, my real life struggle is to step off this stage and go home and this afternoon and this week live as a husband and a father and a friend who's actually full of grace. It's so easy for me to... to, to hope in the one step forward of faith that I'm willing to take and then get so caught up in the two steps back as soon as I'm into the ditch. Anybody experience life like that? I wish it was just a straight line of just more faith and more trust and yet it's so up and down, hills and valleys. And you might say that our, sometimes it feels like our greatest constant is our inconsistency. On better days, we live into this promise of God and we are a blessing to others and experience his blessing. But on so many other days, fear and selfishness wreak havoc in our lives and in our relationships. And the problem is when we operate from a place of fear and selfishness, we're like Abram. We revert back to what we think is best and we get way too confident in our game plan. Abram talks like, this is going to work out great. This is what I want you to do, and this is how it's going to operate. Which, like, you know, why, why this game plan? I don't blame you if you're wondering that. Why would he want to be called a brother? Okay, here's, here's the deal. Culturally, a um, couple things. Number one, and this is the really weird part that uh, I'm just going to touch, and then we're going to move away from it. The first part is, technically, they are half-siblings. That's for another sermon. Now, here's the other piece. To be, a, to be the closest male relative of a woman meant that you were the one who got to decide who, would, who she'd be given in marriage to. So Abram's thought is, all right, if I'm the husband and they see how beautiful you are, then I'm going to be a threat. They're going to kill me because they're going to want to marry you. But if I'm the brother, I'm not a threat. I'm the person they have to go to for permission. So now as the big brother, I get to tell all the would-be Egyptian boyfriends, no way, you're not good enough for her. 
And this will be the way that secretly I'll be able to keep my wife, but also keep my life. And that's his game plan. This is how it's all going to work out. And he's, he's pretty confident in it. He thinks he understands what's going to happen. And uh, that's what happens when we operate from selfishness and fear. That we're just so sure. Oh, it seems pretty simple. This will work out. And it reminds me of a, a buddy of mine I worked with in Kentucky. A uh, pastor, his name's Kyle. And uh, Kyle has this, uh, this story from, from way back. It's a couple years ago that he was... Uh, house-sitting for some friends. With, and he and his family, they really enjoyed house-sitting for this particular uh, house because they had an above-ground pool in the backyard. And they're house-sitting during summer, so they're excited to get to swim in the pool. But then the second day of their house-sitting, Kyle's wife notices, like, the water level's a little bit lower than it was yesterday. And so Kyle goes out to investigate, and he finds this little pencil-sized hole in the above-ground pool that's leaking water. So he goes to the pool store and Ask them what he's going to do, and they sell him an underwater patch that comes with this heavy-duty glue. And so, man, you just, you just go down there and apply it, and it'll be good to go. Seems simple enough. So he goes home, puts on his son's goggles that are a little too small for his head, and then swims down with the patch. And as soon as he tries to apply the patch to the hole, that's when things go horribly wrong for my friend. He pushes, and all of a sudden, the pencil-sized hole tears into a basketball-sized hole. And the water begins to push, but the pressure of the water isn't just trying to escape. It's practically trying to force my buddy out of the hole from the bottom of this pool. And so through the current, he is sputtering and barely able to breathe, and he tries to push up. So he puts his legs down on the bottom of the pool, and he tries to stand up, but the force of those tens of thousands of gallons of water push his head down as he stands up. And so he can't breathe. And for a moment, my friend Kyle thinks, I am about to drown standing up in an above ground pool. That is the lamest death I've ever heard of. Like what in the world? But he, with water up his nose and everything, finally gets his head up and he's coughing. He runs, he grabs a couple towels and he tries to stop the water, tries to fill the hole and buy himself some time, but to no avail because the hole just rips bigger. And he watches 18,000 gallons of water go out the bottom of that pool, flood the backyard of the house he's supposed to be house-sitting. And at this point, his whole family has run out and they all watch it play out, and then his daughter says what everybody else is thinking, did that just really happen? (laughs) This is what's about to happen to Abram. He thinks he's got a game plan, he's confident in it, and let's just watch his pool empty out. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. All right, so he knew what was going to happen. And And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Uh Uh-oh. She was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. There were some things that played out the way Abram thought they might, but in his limited, selfish, fearful game plan, he was able to survive. And it went well for him, but he did not anticipate that Pharaoh would get involved. See, he thought it would be maybe Pharaoh's officials, maybe somebody else. It would be somebody that socially and politically he would be allowed as the big brother to say, no, you can't marry her. But when Pharaoh hears about it, 
when Pharaoh hears about this woman, he's the king, and in that kingdom, he has absolute authority to override any family member. doesn't matter what the brother says. I'm going to have that woman. And Abram didn't anticipate that. And so it's Sarai who's taken and pays for Abram's mistakes, while Abram, did you see, he gets paid a bride price. Abram benefits from Sarai's sacrifice, in a way. And in that angle, Sarai's more like Jesus in this passage than anybody else. But for Abram, I mean, have you ever tried to solve a problem and all you did was make it worse? That you thought you understood, but as soon as you implemented your game plan, things escalated. It's the time when uh, you were in a financial bind and you thought you were reading the markets right and kind of, you know, you made some risky choices, overextended yourself, and now things took a turn and you are in a worse place than you were to start. It's that time when you tried to quit cold turkey and you didn't want to do any of that recovery. You're not going to tell anybody about this. You don't need help. You're just going to gut it out yourself. And then a couple days in, in a moment of weakness, you go on your worst bender yet. It's, it's that moment when um, you knew that if people found out, they'd be so disappointed. And so your plan was through some deception, through some lies of omission, you're going to try and cover it up. And, and that way nobody's going to find out, nobody will think less of you. And then it all comes to light, including what you were trying to hide. And now on top of the disappointment you knew would be there, there's betrayal and broken trust. This is where Abram is. That everything he thought he understood, everything that he was going to play out on his own has gone horribly wrong. And his wife has been taken into the palace. Now this is the part of the story that we would prefer to ignore or skip over. But we can't. To really see the the scope of Abram's failure, we have to understand that... Depending on the scholars you read and the commentaries you read of Genesis, you're going to get a different story about what happened to Sarai in Pharaoh's palace. Was she made Pharaoh's wife in every sense of the word? Was she forced by the king? We don't know exactly what happened to her. Depending on who you read, you hear a different story. But it's all terrible. And she's the one who pays for it most. And this is the moment when man, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't blame God if he'd go, okay, this is an absolute wreck and I'm done. Like I, 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 thought, I thought I had the right people. I thought this would be the guy and instead he's done everything that a husband shouldn't do. Christian husbands are called to, to lay down their life like Jesus laid down his life for the church. That's the standard and Abram has done the opposite of that and asked his wife to do that for him. This is a guy who's supposed to be the man of faith, and he's a selfish coward. These were, this was the family I was going to use to start a great nation, and now the marriage is in shambles and likely violated. And God could totally just throw in the towel and say, okay, we're going to start over, new group. But that's not what God does, and that is not who God is. You want to see God's response? Look at what he does. Verse 17. 
But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. While Abram has been fearful and selfish, here's what we see God do. God protects and keeps his promise. We have a faithful God. He is a promise keeper. And his faithfulness is not dependent on our performance. He is faithful and meets this family with grace, meets this man with grace that he did not deserve. Do you notice Abram doesn't even call out to the Lord for help? He doesn't even ask for intervention. Instead, it's God who just comes in and he does what he said he would do. He said, I'm going to curse whoever curses you. So now that your family, even by your deception, has been mistreated by Pharaoh, I'm going to deal with him accordingly. And we get a little snippet. If you know the bigger story of Scripture, you know, we get a little foreshadowing of the Exodus story. When God would rise up for his people and through plagues and diseases, he would set his people free from a different Pharaoh who had taken what didn't belong to him. We we get that little glimpse right here of God's faithfulness down the generations because he made a promise and he's going to keep it. He will not give up on his people no matter how epically they fail. He brings his grace again and again and again. And there is a husband listening to me. There's a man who's within the sound of my voice right now and the thing you believe God can't forgive you for is how you let some people down around you. That there were some people around you who paid for your mistakes, who experienced, I don't know what they experienced because of your choices, but what you need to know is that God did not give up on Abram and he will not give up on you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter how much you have hurt other people. Those things that you cannot give yourself grace for, God brings his grace to you and says, I'm going to keep my promise. That's the God we serve. He doesn't give up on Abram. He doesn't give up on this marriage. He doesn't give up on this family. He leads them along in faithfulness to his word, not to their abilities or their standards, to his standard of faithfulness. See, this is, this is a struggle for so many of us. We, we struggle to believe this about God because life has taught us otherwise. Life has taught us that promises are made to string you along and then break your heart. And so we know better. I don't care if it happened inside your family, inside your marriage, in your journey as a parent, with some of your closest friends, with business partners. I don't know, but from the playground with the first pinky swear that somebody broke to the latest headlines of two-faced public figures, life has taught us to know better. And the the deeper truth is that we've taught ourselves to know better because we don't even operate that way. We break our word. We break our promises. When, when out of fear and selfishness, it's, it's better for me. It's, I'm, I'm going to come away clean if I, if I just take this route and if I break my word or if I lie about this, if I do this thing, then, man, we, we collapse in on our promises like lawn chairs. 
And we're back to fear and selfishness again and again. And in all of that, life has taught us to know better. But Genesis 12 comes to us and we see a God who knows best. And what his best is, is grace and mercy. What his best is, is faithfulness to keeping his promise. What his best is, is not what we deserve, but what he said would happen in the first place. And so God lives into his truth, not ours. Praise God for that. A God who meets us again and again and again. And we don't have time to look at the rest of Abram's story. But you need to know, this isn't his only fail. He's got a lot more. In fact, if you come back next week, you're going to hear another snippet tied to a different story. And he's part of it too, passive as ever. So what you need to understand is, God is faithful in the ups and downs, not just in one moment, but in every moment of Abram's life. And it's the same for you. And so what does God do for Abram? Again and again, he comes back with these promises. He comes back again to what he said. And he even puts it in terms that speak to Abram's struggles. I noticed this. A couple, couple chapters later, Abram's lived some life at this point, and, and yet still he, he's waiting on more of the promises of God. Because he and his wife don't have a child, and he's still trying to, trying to trust, and yet he's still stumbling forward. And in verse 1... We get this similar pattern to chapter 12, where God, the word of the Lord comes to Abram. That's what happens in 15. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and listen to God speak to Abram's fear and selfishness. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Yeah, you, you don't have to use your wife to protect you. You don't have to use some other, some other person or power to be your shield. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to answer your fear. I'm going to be there faithfully. But not only that, God speaks to his self-interest. Abram, I'm going to be your very great reward. See, God was the one who spoke the blessing. And he was going to be the one who was faithful to provide it for Abram. And so he says to him, you don't have to lie. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to try and connive or plot or scheme or operate out of your selfishness or out of your fear. I'm your shield and your very great reward. And I, and I want Abram to go, I believe God. But, but instead, he's like, well, how's that going to happen? Shoots back some questions because he still doesn't have a kid. I mean, how is any of this going to come true, God? The evidence on earth is not lining up with your promises. Oh my goodness, that's a sermon in a sentence. And God says, come here. He, he takes him outside in verse 5. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is God's way of saying, I keep my promise and it's going to be fulfilled in a better and greater way than you can imagine. And if, if there was just, just one takeaway, just one thing, I pray that my heart and yours and us as a church that we would grab onto, it's what Abram does in response to this promise from God and to God speaking to his fear and selfishness. It's this moment right here in verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, maybe to you, sometimes to me, that sounds too simple. Just believe. Believe God. That feels kind of anticlimactic. But 
we think that sometimes because we miss the epic grace that is in this one verse about Abram that applies to anyone with faith in God. Because Abram believed and God credits it to him as righteousness. And some of you are asking, what does that mean? What does it mean he he credited it to him as righteousness? It means Abram was validated not by what he did, but by who he trusted. It's not that Abram was a perfect promise keeper. It's that he trusted God to keep his promises, even when life in front of him didn't look like it was being fulfilled yet. And that's what you and I are called to do. We trust God's promise and we live in his grace. That's what we're called to live into. That through all of our failures, through all of our struggles, we trust God's promise again and we live in his grace. You've got to understand, God's grace doesn't measure us first and foremost by our actions. God says, believe in me, trust me, close your eyes, take my hand. And when we do that, when we just believe, when we trust, when we sense, God, what you're saying is true, even if it doesn't seem true yet around me, when we do that, God gives us credit as if we walked it out perfectly. And do you know why? Do you know how that's possible? Some of you are listening to this and you're like, okay, I just don't understand how this connects with my life today. Look, let me connect this for you. What we believe as Christians is that there is one who has been our shield and our great reward. And for us, his name is Jesus Christ. See, we're not like Abram in that we don't just look forward hoping for a fulfillment of a promise. As Christians, we look back at what Jesus has done and we see where God kept all his promises. Where he was our shield. See, in my sin, in our pride, and in our fear, and in our selfishness, we deserve, I deserve judgment. I deserve condemnation. I deserve the pool of my life to empty out and for me to sit in my failure and be condemned by God. And Jesus is the shield who stands in front of me and who paid for my sins on the cross. That on the cross, he experienced the rejection I deserved. On the cross, he experienced, well, he experienced what was coming for me. That's what a shield does. A shield protects what is aimed at you by taking the blow. And Jesus died on a cross where he paid for our sins. And through his blood, we have forgiveness. He is your shield if you have faith in him. But it's not just that. It gets better. He is our very great reward. See, Jesus didn't just sacrifice himself. He went beyond what Sarai did. He, he died to pay for our sins. But not only that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of that, he has won for us a great reward we could never earn on our own. He's won for us the blessing he promised to Abram all the way back then, that through him we are co-heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance that is not of our Father's household, it is of our Heavenly Father's kingdom. And we are sons and daughters of the King, adopted by grace through faith because of what Jesus has done. And now, through his spirit, we get to be blessed so that we can be a blessing to tell a world that needs to know there's only one who will be your shield. There is only one who will be your great reward, and his name is Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and Lord. That's what we get to share with the world. That's what started with Abram that comes down to you and me that we get to pass along to others. Man, that's the epic grace of God through Abram to you and to me. 
And, and some of you have just never believed. You've never hit the moment where you've really been able to see Jesus as your shield and as your great reward. You've never hit the moment where you have closed your eyes and taken his hand. And I am praying that for those listening to me who are not followers of Jesus yet, who have not trusted in him, I'm praying that God's doing in something in your heart right now the way he did in Abram's and the way he's done in so many. And for anybody who is a follower of Jesus, I'm praying that he's making it true for you and for me all over again because I need that grace every day. And like Abram, there's going to continue to be struggles. But like Abram's story, God is going to continue to be the one to bring his grace, be our shield, and promise us the reward of his blessing that we don't deserve, but that Jesus has given us in grace. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. You are so merciful. There are so many times where I struggle to close my eyes and take your hand, to stop trusting in what I know or what I think, to stop operating out of fear and selfishness and instead to trust that you're going to be my shield. You're going to be my great reward. Oh God, we wrestle with that every day. Would you help followers of Jesus again and again to see our Savior for all that he is, for all that he provides. And for those listening who are not believers yet, would you lead them to believe? Would you credit them with the righteousness of Christ because of their faith? I pray that you do that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.